We started years ago. Actually, it seems like it's been a long, long time ago, and it's really been about two and a half years ago. We started a verse-by-verse walk through the Gospel of Mark. We've taken sabbaticals from it. Uh, We've had many series thrown into it. Uh, But for these next several weeks, leading up to the um, couple of Sundays following Easter, we will complete the Gospel of Mark. And we will find in that very Gospel of Mark this beautiful journey of Jesus to the cross. Um, The very thing that, that should electrify us when we read the Word of God is how fast and quickly everything changes. Every from the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry until the uh, to the empty tomb and to the commissioning of those who would be his disciples. Um, that all happened so quickly in the life of Jesus. And yet we've slow motion walked through it. In fact, several months ago, actually a year or so ago, we started looking at the final week of Jesus' life. And that final week began in, in the Gospel of Mark chapter 11. If you remember, that's when Jesus made his entry into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. And, and those words were, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And then you get fast forward to Mark 15, you find that those other words that Jesus heard was crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I mean, in just a a few short days, he was, Jesus, save us now. That's what Hosanna means. Save us now, O God. Save us now, O God. Till finally, Jesus is being just misaligned and misrepresented in the crowd that was so easily manipulated said, let's, let's, get away, let's do away with this, Jesus. If we could kill Jesus, we could silence Jesus. And oh, how tragically mistaken they were, right? Because Jesus, even though he was crucified, he did not stay dead. And we celebrate that resurrection. In just a few short weeks, we will celebrate that. And yet, for all these 2,000 almost years of Christianity and and fleshing out our faith, we celebrate the resurrected Christ every day in our life. Because Jesus lives, we live. Because Jesus lives in us, we can face whatever this world throws at us. The world is in turmoil today, not just in Ukraine, but everywhere you look. And there's only one remedy for a fallen world, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the only hope. Jesus is the only answer. Today, as we look at the passion of Jesus, the week that changed the world, I want you to think for a moment. um, This whole idea of the passion, this life of Christ, this week of Jesus' life that was packed full of activity. In fact, uh, uh, the, the, the last six chapters of the Gospel of Mark is filled with just the last week of Jesus' life. I mean, imagine that. I mean, you take the last week of his life, it's, it's the last six chapters of 16 chapters of the Gospel of Mark. It's almost like Mark says, this is too good to leave out. And Peter is the spokesperson. He's the one that's telling Mark what's to write. He said, this is what you need to write. Don't don't forget about this. 
In fact, next week we're going to talk about what Peter told him to write about his own betrayal. And buddy, I tell you, there's something to be said about all of us that deals with betrayal. And if you've ever been betrayed, it's horrible. But if you've ever betrayed someone else, it's horrible as well. And yet the Lord Jesus, he dealt with betrayal. For those who loved him the most, they rejected him. They betrayed him. From the upper room to the empty tomb, when that, when that night that Jesus met with those disciples in that upper room, man, it was an unbelievable night. It was a night of, of highs and lows. He's with his disciples. Man, they are in the same room together. He's instituting this supper, this last supper. We understand to be the Dignon. The Lord's Supper is being introduced. Every time they eat the bread and drink the cup, they show forth the Lord's death till he comes. He's throwing that out there, and the church is still doing doing it because we're remembering the fact that Christ came and lived and died was buried on the third day he was raised to life and we take that supper as a reminder that this Jesus that died and was raised to life is coming back he's coming back I mean Jesus is coming for his children and yet highs and lows He's up there with them, and they're jockeying for position. He's up there with them, and one is leaving to betray him. He's up there with them. He's with them. He's bathed with them. He's ate with them. He's prayed with them. He's walked with them. For three years of his life, he's poured everything he has. He left nothing in the tank. He gave it all. He gave it all. He gave it all. And yet... Without exception, they would all betray him. Not as far as what Judas went, but they would all do it to some degree. And Jesus experienced that. In fact, as we will see in our text today, things are going to begin to unravel quickly in Jesus' life, physical life. He's in that garden called Gethsemane. And there he's praying, and those that should be awake are asleep, and he keeps waking them up, and, and they keep going back to sleep. And Jesus is in this dark garden of Gethsemane, left the upper room under the cloak of darkness, walked over the brook Kidron, walked up the Mount of Olives to the olive press, which is Gethsemane. There he knelt and he prayed and he said, Lord, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me, but if not, so let your will be done. And Jesus sweat great drops of blood. We know the story, right? In the garden of Gethsemane, the olive press, it's pressed. And there while he's in that, in that dark place of Gethsemane those disciples are asleep that was with him Peter James and John and then out of nowhere comes a mob and Jesus knew they were coming if anybody can hear the footsteps Jesus can hear the footsteps if anybody knows what's in the heart of man Jesus knew what was in the heart of man and there was Judas Leading them across that brook Kidron, leading them up that Mount of Olives, leading that, leading that caravan of people that would take the Lord Jesus. And then they would put Jesus through the most agonizing hours that a person could ever go through in their entire life. And Jesus did all of that for us. For us. 
If you name the name of Christ and you believe in him to be your savior, that's why when you sin as a Christian, it is so devastating in your life as a Christian. Because you realize what God did for you. You realize what Jesus gave up for you. You realize that he did all of that for you. So therefore, how could we willingly choose to disrespect him and to not honor him? So we're going to look at these verses beginning in verse number 53. And if you don't mind, just stand to your feet for just a moment. Jesus goes through six trials in five hours. Imagine this. Six trials. Three of them were religious and three of them were civil. There was Annas. There was Caiaphas. There was the Sanhedrin. That was his religious trial. Now the Gospel of Mark only deals with the Sanhedrin. And then there was the civil. There was... Pilate, and then Herod, and then Pilate. And then there was the option. That was the trial amongst the people. Who do you want, Barabbas or Jesus? Which one? You choose. Barabbas was a horrific criminal, a horrible criminal, a man deserving of death himself. Who do you want? Give us Barabbas and just kill Jesus. And, and, and what did Jesus do, right? Never sinned. All the way from the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, we've walked through this perfected life, the truly righteous self-life of Jesus. And now he's standing before the self-righteous people of that day. And Jesus was a righteous self, and he's standing before the self-righteous. So in that cloak of darkness, in that garden of Gethsemane, verse 53 says, And they led Jesus away to the high priests and to all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes that were assembled. Peter followed him at a distance right into the high priest's courtyard and he was sitting with the servants warming by the fire. Remember, it was Peter, right? When they came to get Jesus, it was Peter that un unsheathed that sword. It was Peter that was swinging from Malchus's head and he cut off his ear. And the, and the gospel narratives tell us about this event. And Jesus put the ear on. And he said, hey, hey, Peter, no, 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 you live by that. You die by that. I'm going to die. I, nothing's going to stop me from what's going to happen to me. And it's going to happen to me. But we're don't, I don't want you to do this. If I wanted to, I'd call dad. Dad would send 72,000 angels. And they would come right now at my beck and call. And my father could deliver me from this. That's what he said. And the Bible says that, that Peter, though they took him, 
Jesus, Peter followed along, and he went from a distance into the high priest's courtyard, and he was sitting with the servants, warming himself by the fire, and the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they could not find any, for many were giving false testimony against him, and the testimonies did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimonies against him, stating, We have heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made by hands. Yet their testimony did not agree on this. Then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus, Do you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent, and he did not answer. And again, the high priest questioned him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Verse 63, then the high priest tore his robes and he said, why do we still need witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? They all condemned him as deserving death. Then some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, to beat him, saying prophesy. The temple servants also took him and they slept him. Let's pray. Father, this is um, this is a special room that we walk into today when we look at this text. This is a man that done nothing deserving of death and all he got was death. And yet, Father, for those of us that are looking at this, we deserve nothing but death. And in Christ, we have nothing but life. God, would you just arrest our hearts today and cause us to see what Jesus went through on our behalf. In Christ's name, amen. Now, when you think about Jesus on trial, when we ponder this today, there's three, three little thoughts that are major thoughts when we look at it. The first one, they took him. They tried him. They condemned him. That's it. In a nutshell, that's what happens right here in this text. It starts out with them coming to where Jesus was, and, and, the, and the scripture makes it clear, and they led Jesus away. Jesus was not innocent till proven guilty. He was guilty. They led him away as a criminal. They led him away as a man that was in chains. They did horrible things to him before he could ever really have a trial. They led him away. And when the Bible speaks, 
It speaks in terms where everyone should understand. When Jesus is speaking, he says words like this. He says, no man takes it from me, my life he was talking about, but I lay down my own life. I have the right to lay it down. I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. In other words, Jesus said, whatever they're doing, they, they, they came and they took him. It should read, they came and Jesus let them take him. Jesus let them do that. Jesus let them mistreat him. Jesus let them take him from the garden down the brook Kidron and up into the old city and to the Caiaphas courtyard. They, Jesus let them slap him and spit on him and beat him and crucify him. Jesus let that happen. Let that happen. He said, nobody can take my life from me. I'll lay down my life. No man has the right to take down, take my life unless I let him. And the Bible says that they, that they led Jesus away to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes were assembled. See, that's, that's what happened. In fact, if you, if you look at the John narrative of what happened, he first was taken to Annas. And, and, and Annas was a, was a high priest, formerly a high priest. He was, he was the man who everybody looked up to. He was as crooked as a dog's back leg, and he was a religious leader. That's what he was. He was corrupt to the core, and he was leading people. He was a priest. He was leading people. They took him to Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas. And then Annas formally arraigned Jesus. And then he was sent over to Caiaphas. And then it was from Caiaphas that they come before what we look at, the Sanhedrin, which was made up of the elders and the religious leaders and the scribes and the Pharisees. And, and, and all total, there were 72 less, less one to make it an odd number. So it was 71 and the high priest Caiaphas was in charge of it all. And there they are. And there they took the Lord Jesus. They took him. Judas had taken the money. Judas had fled in shame. All the other disciples had fled. But they took Jesus. They took him. They took him away. And the Bible says that, that, that Peter followed from a distance. He followed. And we can only speculate what Peter must have been thinking. Oh, my goodness. How can I stop this? How can I make this go away? How can this end? How can some, the, the sun come up and all of this just go away? And Peter stood and warmed himself in a fire by a fire while they were accusing Jesus of anything and everything. They took Jesus and then they tried Jesus. Listen to what he says when they tried him. It says that then the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for witnesses to testify against Jesus. That, that word right there, that the word for looking is the word salt. It means like if you're hunting and you're hunting a deer, you're searching for that deer. If you're hunting a hog, you're searching for a hog. You're searching. You're, you're seeking. You're doing everything to find what you're looking for. And what they're trying to find about Jesus was a false witness. 
I don't know what translation. If you read out the Holman Christian Standard Bible, it says testimony, but it really means witness. Eight, maybe nine times, according to the translation, the word witness is used, and only one good witness is given. And it was the witness of Jesus. All the other witnesses were false. In fact, I want you to listen to what the book of Revelation begins with these words. The revelation of Jesus Christ, whom God gave unto him to show unto his servants the things that must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified by his angel unto his servant named John, who bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and all the things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth. And they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for, for the time is at hand. To John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from, from him which is and which was and which is to come, from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from, listen to what it says, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness. The faithful witness is Jesus. In fact, the ninth commandment of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not bear false witness. And all they wanted, the religious leaders, all they wanted from the crowd and all of those that were around is that we've got to find somebody to lie about Jesus. They were seeking and hunting for false witnesses because they did not want Jesus to live. They wanted Jesus to die. And the scripture says, so they were seeking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they could not find any. For many were giving false testimony or witnesses against him, and their witnesses did not even agree. Some stood up and gave a false witness or testimony against him, stating, We have heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another one not made by hands. Jesus almost said that, but he didn't. He wasn't talking about a building. When Jesus was speaking in his public ministry, he said, this temple, this body will be torn down. It will be folded up. It will be laid to rest. But on the third day, it will come back to life, speaking of the resurrection. He's not talking about mortar. He's not talking about the, the temple that was perched in Jerusalem. He's talking about this body. It will be broken. It will be battered. It will be torn down. And it will be buried. But on the third day, it's coming back. And yet the false witness, they started testifying against him. And yet their testimony did not agree, even on this. Then the high priest stood up before them all and he questioned Jesus. Do you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and he did not answer. And again, the high priest questioned him. Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? You remember Isaiah said about Jesus prophetically. It said, he was oppressed and he was afflicted and yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter of the sheep before his shears is done. So he opened not his mouth. For, for him to be able to say whatever he wanted to say, he did not open his mouth. You made up your mind. I am, I am guilty. 
Nothing I can say or do is going to change what you're going to do. I'm guilty. And then obviously, Pilate, out of frustration, says, he says, who are you? Who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are you the son of the blessed one? And then verse 62 says, Jesus said, I am. You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. Boy, if that won't end a trial, nothing will. They're trying this man for blaspheming things. They're trying to condemn him for destroying the temple. They're doing everything. And all of a sudden, Jesus said, okay, here it is. I'm going to pour fuel on the fire. I am who I am. And this is what you're going to see. You're going to see the Son of Man, the Son of God, and he's going to be coming in glory, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's coming. In other words, what Jesus says right there, he said, you will see this Son of Man. You will see him. In fact, the book of Philippians, Paul writes 25 years later about it. And he says, and, 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 at the, and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Said so everybody's going to see Jesus one day. For some people, it'll be too late. For some people, when they stand before Jesus, they stand before him condemned. And it will be too late. That's why while there's daylight, we work. While there's light, we work. Because there comes a time that there will be no daylight and there will be no life. But we work. John wrote, Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like Jesus. In other words, Jesus said, hey, Caiaphas, let me tell you something. You may not like it, but you will have to acknowledge me one day. Because the Son of Man is seated at the right hand of power, and you will see him. You will see him. He reminds us that not only will he be seen, but he will be seated, and he will be seated in authority at the right hand of God the Father. I am the authority. Jesus is the authority over what means what, what it means for a person to come to faith in Christ and come to God. Jesus is the authority. It's not your mama that's the authority, your daddy that's not the authority, your religious leader may not is not the final authority. Jesus is the authority. He's the authority. We come to Jesus on Jesus' terms. We don't come to Jesus on our terms. He's seated in authority. He's seated in sovereignty. He's going to come. One day, the, the, the Lord is coming back. He says that he makes it clear to, 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 to Pilate and all those in the Sanhedrin that day are to Caiaphas. He said, you shall see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, and he is going to be coming in the clouds of heaven. In the clouds of heaven, Jesus is coming.
I pondered this week, why is it so, why is it so difficult for people not to want Jesus? In a culture where Jesus has been counseled a long, long time ago, and what leads to that counsel culture when it comes to Christ is simply this, is that people don't want Jesus because they want what this world has. They have a love for this world. They want only what this world can give them. They live for the moment. They live for the thrill. They live for the excitement. They live for the ecstasy. They live for something other than Christ. So therefore, I don't want what he has for me. I want this world. People reject Jesus. Oftentimes because they just love the world. They reject Jesus because they have no interest and no desire and no willingness to have any change take place in their life unless they're in charge of their own change. See, that whole beautiful song we sing in our church, Just As I Am Without One Plea, just as I am. We sing that invitation song. We sing it oftentimes as, as a chorus, as a reminder. We come just as we are, but we don't stay as we are. We come and give him everything we have. We give it to him. What does he do to us from there? He changes us. So for you that think that possibly I need to get all of this right before I can ever get right with God, you will never get right with God. Because you can't get all of this right. That's why Christ is the righteousness of God in Christ. We come by faith believing. And we trust him receiving. And our life is changed. And to the world, they see it. And then there are those who don't know. They just don't know. They think they know, but they just don't know the truth about Jesus. They think that, that everything about Christianity is pigeonholed and, and everything about following Christ has given up any excitement or joy and any future excitement or joy in life and living a regimented, regulated, ritualistic life. And that could not be any further from the truth. Because the Christian life it's lived, it's lived with the anticipation of knowing that God has a beautiful, unbelievable plan. And he invites us to join him in the plan. And we get to be a part of that plan. They took him. They tried him. And the scripture tells us, then the high priest tore his clothes why do we still need any more false witnesses? He did it to himself. Jesus has did it. He's done it. He's blasphemed. He's done all of this himself. He's, he claimed he's God. He's God. He says, you've heard him blaspheme. What is your decision? And they all condemned him deserving of death. And then some began to spit on him and they blindfolded him and they beat him and they said, prophesy. And then the temple servants came and they also took him and they slapped him. They slapped him. 
They condemned him. Away with you. You blasphemic fool. Away with you. You deserve death. You are going to die for saying those words. You are not what we've been waiting for. So therefore, we will kill you and wait for another. And they led him away. Covered in spit. Covered in scratch marks. Covered under the cloak of darkness. Covered with the shame and the guilt that the people were hurling upon him. Covered even in our own shame and guilt of our own life that he would readily carry with him to the cross so that he could bear our sin and shame. On Calvary's tree. And yet we look at this trial of Jesus. How can it just be any old trial? Everything about it was false. Everything about when they did it, the way they did it, why they did it. Everything was false. There was no innocent project in Jesus this day. There was nobody pleading on him. He had no no representation in that trial, either the religious trial or the civil trial. Jesus was just standing there, a lamb before his shears is dumb. And he opened out his mouth while they were spitting on him. He did that for you and me because we cannot keep our mouth shut. We're always promoting our own self. We're always thinking we're something that we are not. And we think if we tell ourselves we're something that we are not long enough, we will believe it ourselves. And yet the Bible says... that anything we are, we are in Christ. Nowhere else but Christ. In the Old Testament, there's a character in the Old Testament named Solomon. You know Solomon. Solomon was that guy, right? He was that guy in the Old Testament that said he was the smartest guy on the planet. He was that guy that that did a lot of amazing things. In fact, he wrote the book of Proverbs. And a lot of those Proverbs, listen to what some of the Proverbs, Proverbs 26, 11 says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. That's what's happening to Jesus. These old trashy dogs are returning to their folly and they're to their vomit and they're repeating their folly over and over again. They're rejecting their only hope. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. A fool says, I don't need God. A fool says, I can live life on my terms. A fool says that God will make an exception in my life. This sin will not cost me. A fool lives his whole life thinking that God was just going to give you preferential treatment for your foolish life. But no. Proverbs says, it's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of knowledge, but it's the fool that despises that wisdom and that instruction. It was Proverbs that says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And as he grows older in life, 
He will have this to answer to because you've trained him to know the truth. He cannot claim ignorance in judgment because you've instructed them in righteousness. It was Solomon that came to the end of his life. And as an elderly man who has done it all, I mean, God gracious, has he done it all? He, he had 700 wives and 300 sex slaves on top of that. I mean, what guy on planet Earth can put their mind around that or maybe has not tried to put their mind around that? But that was Solomon. He had it all, didn't he? Had everything. And then he wrote Ecclesiastes, he says, this is folly. It's, it's just folly. It's folly. It's folly. It's just nothing. It's nothing. I've had it all. I've done there. Been there. Got that t-shirt. Got a whole truckload of t-shirts out back. I've done it all. And it's just vanity, a vanity, a vanity. And then he comes to the last little utterance from his lips on the pages of the scripture. And he reads as follows. It says, we have all, what, when, when all has been heard, when the conclusion of the matter comes, it is this. Fear God, keep his commands, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing. Whether good or whether evil, everything. Jesus went on trial, suffered the horrible, heinous acts of the religious people of that day that wanted to silence him, and he did all of that for you and for me. That he took every possible thing that we could ever possibly do in our life. And he became that for us. I spent a couple of days in a, with my middle child's girls, Lila and Lucy, this week. Chris and Rachel were seeking a place to live in another state. And I went down there, so I had a granddaughter duty. No, nope, I did not. I had dog duty. <laughs> they have a labradoodle that you could put a saddle on. It's so tall, you know. <laughs> then they, uh, uh, Aussie doodle, I think it's tall. Then they have a, a miniature Aussie doodle. It's just so big you cannot flush it down the toilet. <laughs> I know, I know. You can't flush that dog. <laughs> but they're in an apartment complex where they live. They have a dog park. Adjacent to the dog park is a swimming pool. So I'm in the dog park, and they're just playing, having the time of their life. But that little miniature Aussie doodle can get through the rails of the dog park. And so he runs through the rail and he goes into the pool area. Oh my gosh. So I, I'm running over there. I'm, I'm winded. I'm old. I'm winded. I, I open the gate. Jonathan calls me. I'm on, on the phone talking to Jonathan. And then all of a sudden I'm trying to chase a dog and, and talking to the dog at the same time. Jonathan over there. 
but I'm chasing that dog around that pool, and, it, and as I chase that dog, it just squares off to that pool, and it takes off running towards the center of that pool, and it just gets airborne. And it's about five feet out in that pool, and I'm hanging up on Jonathan, getting stuff out of my pocket, because I'm going to have to rescue the dog. You know, rescue the perishing. I'm going to have to do it. And, you know, the dog comes out of mommy with the ability to swim. And it swims back. Well, long story, a longer story short, was that afternoon I was telling Lila about it while we were in the dog park. And she said, Pop, you know, you know Bear gets out of the dog park. And all of a sudden, we looked up, and there's Bear again. He's running. He's running through the parking lot. And I'm chasing him, and Lila screams at me. He said, Pop, what are you doing? Stop. Stop right now, Pop. I said, we got to get the dog. She said, you don't catch that dog by running after it. Huh. She said, just kneel down. Kneel down. Just kneel. And Bear will see that you're not going to hurt it and will come to you. I looked at that 11-year-old crazy kid, and I said, there's no way in the world I'm going to kneel down, wait for a dog to come to me. I knelt down, and you know what that dog did? It turned around and came to me. And just ran and jumped right into my arms. Can I tell you? That we spend our life running from the one who knelt down and took upon himself every imaginable thing wrong. We run from the one and the only one that can help us. When we need to be like little old bear, just take off running when we've done wrong and just run to Jesus. That's what we need to do with our life. Keep running to Jesus. Because what he did for us, gosh, there's no way that we can put our mind completely around it, but I pray to God that those thoughts that they took him, they tried him and they condemned him, and you will remind as a little asterisk at the bottom, for you, they took him. For you, they tried him. For you, they condemned him. For you, for me. Let's pray. Father, help these words of this hymn, the words of this truth of the message of the from Mark 14. Help what we've heard with our ears and felt in our heart. Help us to do what we need to do today and that is to run to you. Just run to you, Jesus. Lord, there's nothing in this world so important that we can't let go of to follow you. Nothing. Father, for that man or woman, for that young person, that's just constantly, continually pushed you away. Lord, may this be the day that they don't push you away.
They just let you have your way. Lord, do something in our hearts that only you can do. In Jesus' name, let's stand.